0: Hear the word of the lord from genesis 1 26 through 31 i am using the esv then god said let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fle- fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth so god created man in his own image You shall have them for food and to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth everything that has the breath of life i have given every green plant for food and it was so and god saw everything that he had made and behold it was very good and there was evening and there was morning the sixth day this is the word of the lord
1: Okay, do do any of you like Greek mythology? <laughs> I knew, I, how could I know you would, you would like that? I already could have, could have guessed that one. I I always struggle to, I don't know if you guys remember learning those stories, you know, in, in school and stuff. But I always struggle to keep them all straight because, like, they're so filled with twists and turns. And I'm like, wait, who married somebody's mom? I can't remember who's, uh, it's all, you know, it's just days of our lives. But, you know, 3,000 years ago, so... Um but uh, one, one of the stories that I like a lot is is the story of the guy who who tricked Zeus and tricked Hades and and he he escaped um death twice through his cunning and mischief um and and he was he was kind of a bad guy but he was pretty pretty arrogant that he was you know more clever than the gods and so um the, the gods decided hey we've had enough of this guy and uh and he needs punishing. We need to punish this guy. Do you guys know his punishment? we 'll see. There's a picture. Yeah, this is the punishment the gods gave him for thinking he was so smart. He was taken to the underworld or Tartarus or whatever they call it and. He was put at the bottom of the hill. And, and basically they said, hey, you can leave if you can push this stone up to the top and over the edge of, of this, you know, kind of cliff up at the top of the hill. And uh, however, annoying to him, there was a catch. See, Hades had cursed the rock and said, hey, whenever the rock gets to the top, you're going to lose your balance, you're going to topple, and it's going to come rolling all the way back. So, so uh, this guy, um, he... He would get so close, and he would think he had had it accomplished, and then it would just come back down. but he had to keep doing it over and over and over again. Does anybody know his name? Sisyphus, Sisyphus good. You guys do know some of this stuff. Yeah, Sisyphus. Uh, so you know for, for years now, for thousands of years, the tale of Sisyphus kind of has symbolized the, the, the struggle of, with meaninglessness with you know, tasks that don't have a purpose, right? I'm, I'm living this life of Sisyphus. Um, th- the, uh, there's a philosopher named Albert Camus, and he wrote, the gods thought with some reason that there is no more dreadful punishment than futile and hopeless labor. Think about that for a second. The gods thought that there is no more dreadful punishment than futile and hopeless labor. And if you hear that, you think, yeah, I I can see how that feels like it's true. So maybe you have felt this way and in fact, I I have no doubt that you have felt this way at different times in your life. If you're like me, it maybe looks more like this next one. And if if you can read that, it says, Sisyphus putting away his kids' Legos at the end of the day. Right? So he's putting them in the box as the kids you know, they say something about cleaning with kids in the house is like shoveling snow in a blizzard. Right? It's it feels endless and pointless. Is there any reason for this task or am I just cursed to, you know, meaninglessness for the rest of my life? That, it can feel that way, can it? Um, so, so many famous thinkers and philosophers have talked about Sisyphus and the human condition. And, and you know, are we all cursed with the same fate as Sisyphus? To- toiling in life without any real meaning or purpose. One philosopher above all others thought so. Uh, His name was Friedrich Nietzsche. Now, I grew up in Texas, so to me he was Friedrich Nietzsche uh, until I was, you know, corrected about German pronunciation. Um, Anyway, it's fine. But there's a picture of him. He's a charming fellow if you don't know that much about him. he was, he's a German philosopher. He once called himself the Antichrist. Uh, he's the one you may be familiar with, uh, his, one of his most famous sayings, right? God is dead, right? God is dead. He's the guy that said that. Uh, God is dead and we have killed him. That was, that was his quote. Um, he is also given credit uh, for developing what we call uh, existential nihilism. Nihilism. Uh, here is another quote of his. There are no eternal facts as there are no absolute truths. There are no eternal facts as there are no absolute truths. So, I want you to, if if you carry that forward, okay, if nothing is absolutely true, if nothing is eternally true, eternally factual, then eventually you get to this place where you have to say, there is no higher being, there's no God, there's no morality, there's no life after death. Therefore, you can get to this place where you say there is nothing then of ultimate purpose. Nothing matters. And, and this, this is what people who, who believe in nihilism would say is nothing matters, really. There's no point to anything. Uh, life has no meaning. Life has no meaning. So so let me just just say that uh, Nietzsche has a lot to teach us about the consequences of a world without God. And I would say, if there is no God, he's right, okay? His idea of the world is absolutely correct. He he was on to something. At least that is until he went mad, and if you know anything about his life, he spent the last few year, decade or more, uh, completely insane. Um, and, and he died of several terrible illnesses, including syphilis. Um, but I'm going to argue this morning that Nietzsche got the big foundational piece wrong. Right? If, if, he, if he got it right about no God, then the whole philosophy that he has about life is correct. But I don't think so, because I think he missed the point. I think he missed the foundational piece. That there is a God. And so because of passages like Ephesians 2, which we're going to explore more this morning, we can live a life of hope and purpose. So let's pray together uh, as we begin our time. Father, would you show us the truth today? Would you show us through your word beauty of your gospel, the beauty of life, because of what you have done for us. And for those of us who feel like Sisyphus in here this morning, how would you illuminate truth that we would see that there's so much more? Help us, Father, in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so so turn to Ephesians chapter 2, we're going to look at the last uh, Last part of five and work our way into six. So he, he says, God made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Verse six. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Uh, the question was asked just a few minutes ago, are we done? Um, I love that the truth comes out right so, something that a lot of you have thought don't lie at times in the middle of a sermon are we done <laughs> And this morning I have to maybe apologize for in advance because we we are looking at four or five of the most amazing verses I mean we've talked about Ephesians chapter 2 is the masterpiece this piece is the smile, not smile of Mona Lisa. It is the thing. If, if there was one part that you would have to cling to, it's, it's what we're looking at this morning. And so uh, I, I, there, it's just there's too much here. There's too much. But yet I'm still going to give it a shot. And so uh, I, I'm going to maybe I'll try to give you a heads up. This is a little bit of a, a shotgun approach. Uh, instead of like you're getting one thing, you're getting bunches of things because there's so much here uh, for us. And so we'll, we'll kind of work it all together. I think it'll make sense at the end, I hope. Um, and, and I hope you've been with us uh, the, uh, the last two weeks, but, but just a quick reminder of, of where we have been in this incredible passage of, of chapter 2 of Ephesians. So we have learned the bad news that we, like all of humanity, were dead in our sins. We were dead in our sins. We were enemies of God, in fact. And we were unable to do anything good. We were unable to save ourselves because we were dead, right? Dead people can't save themselves. And then we get this amazing thing where he says, but God, but God, because of his great love, because of his mercy and kindness, he first, first he made us alive with Christ. And we saw that one two weeks ago. He made us alive with Christ. And, And what that meant was that we could be saved, we were spiritually dead, and through Christ's resurrection, we are spiritually brought back from the dead. And we, 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 we called this change uh, at that point. We, we said that, you know, God can bring us back from the dead, and he can bring about any change in our lives in Christ. And so we've been given that because of the resurrection, we always have that with us. Today, God can bring about any change. He can bring the dead to life He's brought us alive. He can do anything, change. And and last week we learned that not only are we brought back from the dead, but that we are already spiritually raised up, spiritually raised up, meaning in God's eyes we are already in his presence in a spiritual way. And so we aren't waiting for the reality of of eternity. It's already happened in us because of the resurrection of Christ. And so we called this the resurrected life, uh, or as, as Pe- we saw from 1 Peter, uh, the living hope, right? You and I are in a living hope. It's not just hope someday way down there, or, you know, in the sweet by and by. It's today. We are in the living hope. Nothing can be against us in the spiritual realm because God is for us. And nothing can separate us from eternal life. And so we said this is This is living hope. This is hope in any circumstance that you deal with in your daily life. We are with Christ. We are in His presence. We've been raised up now. It's already happened. And so I'm starting to feel a little bit like an infomercial because with our passage today, I've just got to say, but wait, there's more. We're not done. There's more for the next, you know, 20 minutes. Um, Because as, as As Paul has been focusing on what the resurrection means for us, you know, today and and every day, he's going to introduce another new word. Paul has been creating verbs out of nowhere um, in this passage, and and we get a third one for this morning. Uh, Verse 6, as we read, says this, "...and raised us up with him," which we saw last week, and then the new verb, "...and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus." Seated us with him in the heavenly places, so let me just tell you what I think this means, what, what most scholars think this means. The first thing we need to know is, is this word exaltation if you if you remember um, we, we've kind of looked a little bit at chapter one of this passage, uh, of this book and verses uh, twenty and twenty one it says that he He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly places, far above any rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. That's what God did for Christ. He's seated Him in the heavenly places. He's given them this throne. He is above everything, right? He has ultimate power, ultimate authority. He's been exalted, God made Christ this ultimate authority and Paul's going to tell us right here in verse 6 that we now share in that authority. Commentator Clinton Arnold says this Salvation is more than forgiveness of sins. It entails a participation in Christ's power and authority over the forces of evil. That's that's mind-blowing stuff a participation in Christ's power and authority over the forces of evil Uh, another commentator Klein Snodgrass says that uh, for those who are in Christ as believers they are he says exalted with Christ their Lord they enjoy unparalleled privilege honor and security again wait there's more (laughs) they are not held back by fear or vulnerability Rather, they have what they need for life with God. So what does it mean that Christ is exalted and then Paul says we are seated with him in the heavenly places? We share in that exaltation. And and, and again, I want to be careful and and not make this something that it isn't. We're not superhumans now. We don't have special powers. Uh, commentators warn that we should avoid uh, what they call escapism, meaning that we act like because we have been spiritually exalted, uh, that we have you know nothing to do uh, with with this world anymore. Right? I'm I'm above and beyond all that. I don't even have to get involved in the details of this, of this world. I've been spiritually exalted with Christ. That's not what this means. We we live in this world, and, and until we are physically resurrected, we we are called to live here, work here, be involved here, and and more, as we'll as we'll see. The other thing we have to avoid with this uh, passage uh, is, is what they call perfectionism, uh, where 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 we think that now we are free from f- from all sin, uh, so. So I will just say, we, we will not achieve perfection against sin. Um, but, but I think we have to live in this balance, right? Um, we have to live in this, this balance where we, we understand, as, as the commentator just said, we, we've been given what we need to follow Jesus. We've been given what we need for a life with God. It doesn't mean we'll ever we'll be perfect in this physical life. That doesn't happen until, until later. But sin doesn't have dominion over us anymore. The evil that that is mentioned, right, the world, the flesh, and the devil, they don't have dominion over us anymore. We've been exalted and seated with Christ. Being seated with Christ means something. You know, Romans 8, 16, and 17 says, The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Other versions say co-heirs, right? We are fellow heirs. We are co-heirs with Christ. Not because of our own efforts, not because we've achieved anything, but because God has united us with the works of Christ and united us spiritually in the exaltation of Jesus Seated on the throne. We are co-heirs. Okay, we'll get back to that. Verse 7, we'll keep going through this. It's going to share a little bit of God's motivation in all of this. It says, So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. This is really interesting. See, God's purpose in making us alive through Christ is that it might display how gracious, kind, loving, and merciful he is. God reveals who he he is by the good news of Jesus. And and so we could spend a whole lot of time talking about what does all of that mean to be, you know, demonstrating of of God's glory. Um, But the point is that we, we see who God is by what Christ has done for us. God is demonstrating his glory in all of this. That's the purpose. And so I I just want to note something that I I maybe too often in my life get backwards when I think about kind of God and and Jesus and all of that. So so remember verse 4 where God is rich in mercy, it says, and he loves us with this great love. And here he is demonstrating his character. You know, sometimes I think me and, and, and a lot of the others of, of us can, can kind of think of God as this like old grumpy man, right? Grumpy old God up there somewhere, this curmudgeon standing you know, unhappy with everything. Um and and he doesn't really like me. He's super angry with me. And and then Jesus died so that he could be the middleman, right? Um and and you know. You know, I think about like a fight and somebody coming in the middle to try to break up the fight. Sometimes I can think of it like that. That, you know, God just wants to get me, but Jesus is gonna step in and and kind of break up the fight. But God, God's angry and he hates me. That's not what we get in Ephesians chapter 2. We have to see that really clearly. God is the lover of the story. He is the pursuer of the story. He loves us. And that's the reason why he does all of this, because of his great love and to show who he is. He sent Jesus because of his love. Right? Jesus didn't come going, well, gosh, I've, maybe I can do something about it and break it up so you don't, you don't smite everybody, God. That's not what happened. God loved and God sent Jesus. Jesus. because of the love he already had for you and me. Even when we were enemies, even when we were in sin and dead, he still loved us and he sent Jesus. And he loved us from before the world. He will love us for eternity. That's his character. And that's why he does what he does, so that he can show that off to the world. Everyone can see who he is. And so God's love is on display here and he gets all the credit. He gets all the glory In this passage, everything happens because of the love and mercy and kindness of God. Okay, so now we get to verse 8, right, and and just keep going with good stuff. Just incredible. So he tells us the motivation of God, and then he says, and check this out, right, just a reminder in case you're tempted to think the wrong way, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, this loving, kind God. That's the one behind all of this. That's why he does all of this. And so all the credit, all the glory deserve He deserves it. It's, it's in His lap. Just a reminder of verse nine, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. So, we've talked about this before, but it is just worth mentioning again as we go on. You were dead, and you were empty-handed in this relationship. You brought nothing to the table. Nothing. We were objects of his wrath, and then he sent Jesus. So God gets all the glory and the credit for the gospel. And God's gonna let us... Then even, we're going on and on and on, more of what he has in store for all of this in this incredible plan of redemption. You see, we, 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 uh, we were saved from something, right? We were saved from something, hell and wrath, but we were also saved for something, and that's what's getting ready to come here. And, and you might say it another way, right? We weren't saved by good works, But we're about to find out we are saved for good works. So look at verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And I want you just again to notice who is doing the work in verse 10. We are his workmanship. We are His workmanship. Some translations talk about like a masterpiece or a work of art because that's the verb, that, or I mean, the, the 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 word that's used here. It, 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 is, it is to to give us the image of beauty. We are His crafted beautiful thing. He made us. He did that work. Created in Christ Jesus. God crafted us on purpose. You were made on purpose with purpose. You are not a mistake. You are not an accident. And and we need to hear that sometimes. You are crafted as a masterpiece by God. He made you on purpose, by design, the way that you are. Your uniqueness, your gifts were for a purpose. And, And Paul says all of that was for good works. You were created, but you were also created to do something. But it's amazing that it's not even our own good works. We can't even say, well, look at my own good works. It says they're not yours. It says that God prepared these beforehand. He's the one who prepared them. All we've got to do is carry the thing out. He's already taken care of the whole thing. He simply wants us to walk in them. That's the, the verb there, right? We, we're supposed to walk in what he has prepared for us to do. So Paul is sharing with us this this kind of beauty of God's design of redemption if you will this is the the big plan we're getting to see the blueprints behind the thing and so yes hang on there's more verse one of our passage chapter two says that you and I used to walk in our trespasses and sins that's what we walked in and now this thought is completed as verse 10 right so we know it's a package deal Because he says, we are empowered to walk in good works now. We've we've come so far. In verse 1, we only walked in sin and in death and in trespass. And now by verse 10, we've been empowered through Christ and the Holy Spirit that we can walk in good works. And that's how we will be defined now. We're defined by the good works of Jesus. We are truly new creations in Christ. And so we were made new on purpose and with a purpose. And so this is really unique. We just have to kind of think about other religions here for a second, and especially kind of for the the mind of the Ephesians, how they would have heard this. Most religions look like this. How can I benefit from God or the gods or whatever? How can I keep from being punished how can I get God to make my cattle fertile and my crops productive, right? What can I, how can I get what I want out of God? Uh, maybe if I do enough stuff, maybe that will, that will make, make God give me the things that I want. You know, I would, I would call it a self-serving model. God, I will do all of this for you if you will do all of this for me. But that's not what God did. That's that's not the message of of the gospel. He gave this incredible free gift because he loves. It's a free gift that we could never earn, and it was out of his love, out of his initiative, and it's given with a purpose. That we would be new creations who walk in Christ, doing two things, demonstrating who God is and sharing the good news of God with the world. That's it. You know, one of the, you know, kind of practical level here, one of the struggles I've had in my life, and I, th- I think that, that many people struggle with, is, you know, trying to figure out God's will for my life. i, I got to figure out God's will. You know, I, I found this passage to be really helpful in, in, in this area. Um, you know, really, really, I guess I'd say comforting, because God lays out a simple plan Here. He does all the work, and and now my life is simply supposed to be on display for God's glory. That's it. So so just kind of number one, I do have a purpose. So I would just say, if you're living and breathing today, guess what? You have a purpose. And that purpose is to display the love and kindness of God. And you can do that. You don't have to be a superstar of any kind. You don't have to be a theologian. You don't have to be famous to do that. Our, our Old Testament passage that we read this morning is from Genesis 1, and, and, and it's a beautiful thing where God creates the world, and it says He created it good. He created it the way He wanted it to be. And, and the amazing thing is He created humans with a purpose, this is pre-fall, right? So people say, well, I've got to go to work. That's a curse of the fall. No. Work existed in chapter 1 of Genesis. We were created with a purpose to do God's work. We were his ambassadors on this earth. And, and what we're seeing here in Ephesians 2, Paul is telling us that God has redeemed that in us through Jesus. We can be that ambassador again like Adam and Eve were supposed to be. We display his goodness and his glory and his power in our lives just by living in the immediate things around us. So Christ redeemed our image as image bearers of God in in the world. And so we have purpose once again. This is amazing, amazing stuff. We are alive and we have a purpose. And so I I find this really helpful in its simplicity because I, I get paralyzed in the specifics of God's will, right? I worry about things like, well, what if I make the wrong decision, right? What if I take the wrong job? What if I go to the wrong restaurant and and miss God's will by the other restaurant I'm supposed to go to? I don't know if you guys worry about things like this, right? (laughs) What if there was somebody I was supposed to share the gospel with at at this restaurant, and I, because I went to the other place, I missed it. Now I've, I'm out of God's will, Now my whole life is going to unravel because I went to the wrong college. Because I made the wrong friends. Because I picked the wrong job. My whole whole life is going to unravel. And and God is going to be so disappointed. I can't do His will. Whatever. We feel this way. The the passage is freeing for this kind of stuff. God prepared the works beforehand. Beforehand. He's the one in charge of designing them, and he's the one in charge of carrying them out. They're not my good works. They're his. I I just need to walk in them, in the good works displaying who he is. And I can do those simple things. I can share the love of God. I can share who he is. So I don't have to try to solve some mystery. I don't have to try to solve some maze or puzzle of God's will. I can, I can embrace the day in front of me. I, I can let him lead me where he wants me to go. He has the responsibility of taking care of all those details. And so I just do the best that I can and try to follow. And I don't have the pressure of thinking, I made the wrong turn. I made the wrong move in God's will. You see, there was, there was no burning bush for me to move to Illinois. I wish there had been. You know, we were praying for it. It didn't show up. There wasn't a burning bush. We were hoping we make the right decision. I did the best that I could to discern things. I prayed that God would take care of the details. I know other people on the other end were doing the same thing. And so I can rest in that. I can rest that I'm doing the simple things of displaying who God is, showing his love to people. And and maybe I was supposed to go to some really cool church in Hawaii and I would be a surfer and I missed it. That's okay. I can still display God's love right here and still be doing Ephesians 2.10. And I'm not disappointing God in that. That's amazing. It's so freeing. So if, if God wants me to do something, he'll prepare the way. If God wants me to write an all-time best-selling book, maybe that'll happen someday. I don't know. May, I, I don't think he gave any spe- specifics in this passage either. Like, Nick, you've got to you know, grow a church to 10,000 or else you're a failure. Or, Nick, you've got to lead thousands of people to Christ. Or, uh, no, he didn't say that. He didn't say that for you or me at all. It's so simple. All I got to do is be faithful in the little things that I know that he's given me to do to display who he is with my life and to share the love of God. And if I can do that, he can take care of the good works that he's prepared beforehand. And maybe I'll be famous someday. I don't know. Hope not. I don't, want, I don't want that kind of pressure, right? I just do what's in front of me. I love my family. I love my friends. My coworkers, my neighbors, and you and I have been given that task. We can do that. That's following God's will. There's no mystery or maze to unravel in any of this. Just love people around you. So at the end of the day, can I say, man, I shared the love of God. I walked in a way with the help of the Holy Spirit that maybe others saw something about the beauty of God in what I did today. That's all I can do. And I can rest well at the end of the day with that. And that's the freedom we get in this passage. That's the purpose we get out of this. And then I'll just say, we are partners. And I love that here. Right? Co-heirs with Christ as children of God. You know, I, I think a lot of us lived our lives or live our lives thinking, you know, God is this kind of like bossy drill, drill sergeant or whatever, right? That he's yelling at us, be good, do better, be better, be better. You're not good enough. Get up, work harder, And like all humans, I have enough stubbornness in me that I want to rebel against uh, that kind of relationship. I don't want to be in a relationship like that. But that's not what we have in Ephesians chapter 2. You and I in Christ have been seated in the heavenly realms. And we've we have authority with Christ. We are on God's team as much as that's possible. We are on God's team. And that means we already have a loving father who gives us the good we need, and he gives us the privilege of sharing in his work. We're partners, right? It's like such and such and sons, plumbing or whatever, right? We're in the family business now. We're not slaves. We're not grunts. We're part of the family. We are co-heirs in the family business of the kingdom. And he's invited us to share in it. And he does all the good work in the beforehand. We just have to walk in it. That's, that's cool. Right? I can get behind that kind of relationship. So I, and I know at times that it can feel like we are all Sisyphus. Right? Do the things that I do in my life, do they really matter? Does it matter? And if Nietzsche is right that there is no God and there is no ultimate truth, Then we are like Sisyphus. We are wasting our time. Right? You were born, life is hard, and then you die. That's all we have to look forward to. There's no hope. There's no purpose. Fatalism in the ultimate. But God. But God. He's real because of the resurrection which hundreds of people saw and everyone in that day knew had happened right that's why Paul and Peter and all these guys could say you guys saw him you saw Jesus you saw the resurrected Christ this is real stuff it's not myth it happened and because of that because this real resurrection of Jesus happened we can have life life where god can change anything he can change death to life and we can have hope Hope because God is for us and he's working things for our good. A living hope, that's what we have. And because of the resurrection, we have been made co-heirs with Christ. Where we have ultimate purpose. Everything you do in your life matters. It has ultimate, eternal purpose where we glorify God. We show his love to a hurting world. That's, That's something we can get behind. That's worth living for. Your life is not an accident. You were made on purpose as a masterpiece. You matter, and the things that you do matter for the glory of God. Let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you that you didn't just make us to be worker ants slaving away with no hope, no purpose. You've given us authority. You've made us a new creation, and it's a masterpiece that's not an accident. What the world sees as disabilities or flaws or bad habits and traits or imperfections, they're all something that can be used to share who you are, to brag about your love in grace, and mercy, and kindness. So God, would you fill us with purpose every day? We may be doing what seem like ordinary things, but there is no such thing in your kingdom. They all have eternal purpose. They all matter. God, would you give us strength for today? In Jesus' name, amen.